invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's just for context, it's where Jesus has seen the crowds coming because he'd been healing people. The word of Jesus has spread all over the region, even the places he hadn't set foot yet because he's healing people. So they're bringing people to be healed, and he says he's, he heals every disease and sickness. And so he sees the crowd, and he, so he sits down, probably thousands of people at this point, and he sits down to preach. And he preaches chapters 5, 6, and 7, long sermon. But here's the great news. At the end of it, chapter 7, the people looked at each other and said, wow, what a sermon. We've never heard somebody preach. He don't preach like our preacher. So we're looking at the practice of righteousness today and specifically prayer. Let me just tell you how the mind of a preacher works. I preached three years ago. I preached through First and Second Timothy. And I got to the end of the summer and still had some weeks left after Second Timothy. So I actually preached a little bit out of Matthew and preached part of this passage. And so all week I've kind of battled, you know, do I bring something from three years old? And so I just said, this is going to be new. This is fresh. But God wants us to hear a message on prayer apparently. So let's hear what God has to say about prayer, the practice of righteousness. Don't raise your hand. Anybody struggle with prayer? I've never met a Christian that wouldn't confess. You know, I struggle with prayer. Why do you think that is? Well, it's because our enemy, the devil, doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't care how religious you are. He doesn't want you to be righteous. He really doesn't want you to have an intimate relationship with God where you could talk to God any time of the day or night. And so we're talking about prayer. Any of you taught prayers as, as kids? My parents, we were church-going folks. We prayed at night around the supper table. The thing, I, as I got older, I thought, why do we pray at night around the supper table? But if we went out to eat, which we didn't do a lot, but on Friday night, if we went out to eat, we never prayed over our meal at the, at the restaurant. I thought, is it pre-blessed or something that we didn't have to ask the blessing? I, I've even gone to churches where they say, well, Pastor, would you bless our food? I said, I can't do that. I'll ask God to bless it, but you don't want me to bless the food. What I do is blessed. So when we ask the blessing, we're asking God's blessing. But I was taught some prayers as a kid. I was taught a prayer at supper time. I was also pre- taught a prayer at bedtime. How many of you were taught, now lay me down to sleep? Have you paid attention to the words of that prayer? Now I'll lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die, whoa, wait a minute, what are we talking about? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a good prayer, but when you're five years old, you got nightmares the rest of the night. What's a soul and where is it going? It's kind of like as I was preparing this message this week, I thought, you know, there's some other things we taught kids as they were young, even some nursery rhymes. Rockabye baby in the treetop. What's the baby doing in the treetop? When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. Well, of course it will. He shouldn't be up there to start with. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Hello. And down will come baby, cradle and all. How did, we, how did that get past the censors? If you're putting your baby in a treetop, we need to call the Department of Social Services anyway. But Jesus teaches on prayer, and we're going to start with this first verse on righteousness, and I just want to remind you, the reason prayer is hard, the reason prayer gets overlooked, in fact, I read some sur- a survey this week, the Pew Research Center says more than half, 55% of Americans say they pray every day. That's not just Christians, that's anybody they surveyed said, yeah, I pray every day, 55%. 21% say they pray weekly or monthly. I get the weekly because you go to church maybe. Well, I pray on Sunday, that covers me the rest of the week. seldom or ever pray. Women, 64%, are more likely than men to pray at 46%. Americans over the age of 65 are far more likely to pray 
daily than adults under the age of 30. Here's the one that bothered me. 63% of Christians in the United States say praying regularly is an essential part of their Christian identity. Think about that. 63% of professing Christians say prayer is important. There's the problem. Satan doesn't care if you're religious. He doesn't care if you're doing things. He cares that you're not connected to God. So we're going to talk about prayer. And so Jesus starts with verse 1, and then we're going to go to verse 5. But let me read verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. Beware. First word of the passage, chapter 6, verse 1, beware. It's an alarming word. Bells and whistles, sirens. Jesus is saying, watch out for practicing your righteousness before men. And he's speaking to the very people who are doing that or teaching that. Not everybody in the crowd was religious elite, but they've been impacted by the religious elite. And what did the religious elite think was important? Show. Pretense. There were three things that they considered to be very important part of their religion. Number one was giving alms to the poor. We addresses that in this chapter. Second one is prayer. The third one is fasting. He addresses all of those here. If you had talked to a Jew of that day, the most religious of the Jews, you would have said, what are the three most important signs of righteousness for you? They would have said giving, prayer, and fasting. And so Jesus turns the alarm on and said, you know what, I'm changing the price tag's on the display case here because what you consider to be valuable is to be noticed. So Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness. What is righteousness anyway? Righteousness, simply put, is to be right with God. You're right in the eyes of God. How does that happen? You're not right in the eyes of God because you do something religious. You're right in the eyes of God because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Anything else is not righteous. It's just religious. And for the religious leaders of that day, it was a performance. It was a show. It was an act. When they gave, they blew a trumpet. Why did they blow a trumpet? It didn't help increase the giving. It just helped shine the spotlight on them. When they prayed, they stood up and prayed these loud prayers. So he says, be careful. Even when you fast, don't let everybody know you're fasting. Fasting is an important discipline in the Christian life. But if you go around telling people, I ain't eating all day because I'm fasting, well, God says you've already got your reward in full. So who gets the glory? Who's being noticed? We're Just three thoughts. We're made righteous when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you're not righteous in private, then you're not righteous in public. Third thought. You should be seen doing good works. You should get noticed. You should be seen doing good works, but you shouldn't do good works to be seen. You with me? So beware, warning. Jesus is about to talk about one of the religious acts, one of the spiritual disciplines. We're going to skip over giving. You can read that for yourself. But verses 5 and following through verse 8, let me read that. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So, when you pray. So Jesus is taking for granted you're going to pray. But he's going to give a don't, some do's, and a don't. 
So follow this passage, this part of the, the passage. Don't. Don't be like the hypocrites. You ever heard that word before? I've heard people say, the reason I don't go to church is because there are a bunch of hypocrites there. Yeah, and if you went, there'd be one more. You still go to the grocery store, there's hypocrites there. You still go to the ball game, there's hypocrites there. What does the word hypocrite mean? It literally was a word that meant a play actor. When they had plays back then, they typically were all men. They would wear masks to pretend to be something they weren't, and they would over-exaggerate the characteristics of the mask they were wearing. So that's the word that Jesus used. Don't be like the hypocrites. In other words, don't do it for show. Don't put on performance. Don't put on a mask. So don't be like the hypocrites. Three things that are like hypocrites. Number one, meaningless repetition. To be a Jew, you had been taught 18 prayers that you would pray three times a day. You wouldn't necessarily pray all 18, but you would pray some of those three times a day. And what they started doing was condensing the prayers. Prayers had gotten too long, so they thought, we'll just abbreviate some of our prayers. But you're still praying repetition that was meaningless. Don't pray overly long. They taught, they believed the effectiveness of your prayer was how long the prayer was. I love a quote that was ascribed to Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, and that is this. If you pray for three minutes, I'll pray with you. If you pray for six minutes, I'll pray for you. If you pray for nine minutes, I'll pray against you. So don't pray long prayers. And, and I hear preachers do this. I hear church members do this. Sometimes we preach a sermon in our prayer, don't we? We get to where we're not praying to God anymore. We're praying to the people listening and we're preaching a sermon or we're giving information that we could have given them before the prayer time. And don't be like the hypocrites just to be noticed. They wanted to be seen and heard by people, and so they positioned themselves in places where they'd be seen and heard by people. They loved to stand in the synagogues. They were in the right location, but they had the wrong motivation. When they were called on to pray, they loved to stand up and give a great oratory and, and great volume to their voice and use highfalutin words. So I think one of the things that scared me about prayer as a kid was I didn't know the lingo. You talk to God as if you're talking to anybody. Out of respect, though, we respect God. We reverence God. We come in fear of God. But you don't have to know certain words that have power that you hear somebody else. I've got to work that into my message. So they love to stand in synagogue or on street corners. And the word for street corners literally meant an open play. This wasn't just some remote alley. This was a street corner where you could be seen from all four directions. It was an open plaza, an open plain. And if you're doing it just to be seen by men, you have your reward in full. Now, he's going to talk about getting a reward from God. But you've already got the reward you were seeking. What was your reward? To be noticed, to be seen, to have people say, look at him, look at her praying. Boy, aren't they religious. Yeah, that's all they are is religious. They're not righteous. They're not right before God. So they have their reward already in full. So that's the don't. Don't be like a hypocrite. So when you go to the Lord in prayer, don't pray like a play actor. Don't fake it till you make it. So what do we do? When you pray, go in your inner room. In fact, the word used for inner room was almost like a secret room in the house where valuables were stored, where nobody knew where it was. Now, do you have to have a secret room in your house? Because I don't think I have a secret room in my house. There's six of us in our family growing up. We had four kids. I wasn't growing up. I was married to my wife, but we had four kids. There wasn't anywhere you could hide in the house. You, you thought sometimes you're safe in the shower, and you look outside, and one of your boys is sitting there watching you. But go where you can be in private and pray. Close the door. Did you notice Jesus' public prayers were fairly short, and yet his private prayers could last all night? 
close the door and pray to the Father. That's what Jesus is going to teach here in a minute when we look at the model prayer. But you're talking to God, not each other. I met a friend of mine for lunch one day, and he and his father were already sitting there. And I came in, and I said, well, have you already asked the blessing? He said, well, it doesn't do any good. He can't hear. He's deaf. I said, well, who are you praying to? You're not praying to him anyway. He's not, God's not deaf. God hears everything you say. So pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. It doesn't mention what the reward is. But I would say this, the reward for one is to be heard. God gives us the freedom to come before his throne boldly. So just the fact of prayer that God listens, God hears our prayers is a reward. But a bigger reward is that God will be glorified. So the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then don't use meaningless repetition. Is it okay to pray the same thing over? Absolutely. But meaningless repetition is discouraged. So in other words, if you've learned a rote prayer where you just rolls off your tongue, you don't even think about anymore what you're praying, that's meaningless repetition. It's okay to pray for something more than one night in a row. Tell that to my son. When I was working on my doctoral project in seminary, we'd pray most nights that I would complete my doctoral project. He finally said, well, maybe if you put a little effort into it, we wouldn't have to keep praying. Well, he was right. If you're not putting effort into it, why are you praying? But you're praying that God may help you put a little effort into it. So don't use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they're going to be heard for their many words. And they were kind of taught that. They were taught that your prayer is going to be more effective if you can add to the length of it. In in Acts chapter 19, verse 34, there's a, a conflict among Christians and Jews and heathens in Ephesus. And you get to verse 34 of chapter 19. But when they recognized that he was a Jew talking about Alexander, a single outcry arose from all of them as they shouted for about two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. How do you like to be in that prayer meeting? Two hours shouting the same thing over and over and over again. So don't use meaningless, empty, vain repetition as the Gentiles do. But your father knows what you need before you ask. So why do you ask? I think there's some people that read that passage and think, well, I don't need to ask. He already knows what I need. And yet James says you don't have because you don't ask or you don't have because you ask with the wrong motives. So God already knows. God is all-knowing, right? He's sovereign God. But he still wants us to ask. Why? Because if we ask and see the answer to prayer, it increases our faith. It also increases our dependence on God. God could give you everything you need without you ever asking. What would we do? Take him for granted. So I'm glad that God wants me to come before him and beseech the throne of heaven for things that I need, things that others need. Because it connects me with the provider of every good and perfect gift. So there's hindrances to prayer. Before we get to the model prayer, I just came up with four hindrances to prayer. Number one is you lack relationship with God. If you're not a Christian, your prayers are unanswered unless it's a prayer of salvation because you're not connected to the Father. So lack of relationship will hinder your prayers. Number two, lack of faith. Do you believe it? It amazes me sometimes. I prayed with young people, with with youth pastors. There's one in Orlando that always sticks out to me, the youth pastor. We prayed one of these prayers that I just didn't even know what to pray. But I asked God for big things. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from the youth pastor. You're not going to believe it. I said, what? He said, God answered our prayer. Why do we do that? Of course I believe it, because God answers prayer. Is God powerful enough to do the things he says he will do? Absolutely. Does God answer prayer? Absolutely. 
So one of the hindrances to prayer is lack of faith. You're not going to go to the Lord in prayer if you don't think he can listen and you don't think he can do anything about it. Third thought, wrong motives. That's what James says. You don't have because you don't ask. If you do ask, you're asking with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. So what's your motive in prayer? Ultimately, our motive in prayer ought to, know God, ought to be to know God and to glorify and honor him. If the majority of our prayers are gimme, gimme, gimme prayers, what does that sound like? A three-year-old. The more you grow in your faith, the more your prayer is going to be, God, if you never do another thing for me, you've already done more than I ever deserved. That's grace. The fact that I have a relationship with you, the fact that I'll spend eternity with you in heaven, God, you don't owe me anything. But God, I want you to be proclaimed. I want you to be known. I want you to be glorified. Or the wrong thinking. Last one is the wrong thinking. I think that sometimes we think, this is too big. Is God scared by big prayers? No, God wants big prayers. God is powerful. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think according to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, it's later in Ephesians. So sometimes we're hindered because it's too big. Sometimes we're hindered because we think, well, this is too small. I don't want to bother God with this. It amazes me how we can pray. Millions of Christians could be praying simultaneously, and God hears them all. Isn't that amazing? That's God. God's not swamped in heaven. Stuff's not stacking up on his desk. And he's like, you know, playing the George Costanza character. I can't, I, I'm just overwhelmed. No, God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray for big things. He wants us to pray for small things. Why? Because it reminds us of our utter, absolutely, absolute dependence upon God. So let's get to the model prayer. In my Bible, this is called the Lord's Prayer. It's really more of the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer would be the upper room prayer before he goes to the cross. But this is what to pray. We've looked at how to pray, what to pray. He says, let me read verses 9 through 15. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So Jesus is teaching them to pray. Pray in this way. This is an example. This is not a pattern that you, again, memorize, and this is all you pray. And notice how short this prayer is. Just a few verses. Probably could pray this in under a minute. But notice how powerful it is. Our Father. Jesus didn't have to ring a bell to get God's attention, the Father's attention. But when Jesus prayed, he always prayed to the Father, except one time. One time he addresses God, and that's on the cross, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is that? Because normally when Jesus prayed, he felt an intimate connection with God. So he called him Father. When he was on the cross, he felt all alone. He had the weight of the sin of the world on him. And so he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus gives us the model, the, the way he prayed, and that was pray to the Father who is in heaven, again, the dwelling place of God. Hallowed, literally the word means to make holy. The root of the word is the same as the word holy. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he's teaching his disciples to pray to the Father, but one of the first things is this. Come before God with worship. Come before God with praise. 
God, may your name be worshipped. May your name be hallowed. May your name be holy. Listen to what he said in the Upper Room Discourse, John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So come before him praying, hallowed be your name. Names don't mean as much now. I know if you've just had a child and you've named it, it was probably very important what you named them. I was talking to somebody recently about their name, and they said, yeah, I don't know why my parents named me this name. We didn't know anybody by this name. I think they just liked the name. Names are not as important as they were in biblical times, but the name of someone reveals part of their character. So the name of God reveals his character. In fact, did you know the Jews would not pronounce the name of God? When they came to the word Yahweh in the Old Testament, they would skip over it and use a word like Adonai. Why? Because they revered the name of God so much they wouldn't even pronounce They felt unworthy to pronounce it. So come with that kind of attitude before God. You don't come flippantly into his presence. You come knowing that it's because of Jesus that you're even allowed there. So you come, first thing you do is hallowed be your name. And then you pray for his kingdom to come. May your kingdom come. The word kingdom literally means royalty, realm, reign. God already reigns, but there's coming a day where he's going to reign over everything at the second coming. And so, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Are we praying that way? And I think it's fine to pray and say, God, I don't know what your will is in this case. I can tell you what I want. But ultimately, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. So may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, in the same way you reign in in heaven, reign over the earth. May your will be done perfectly and completely. And then he asks, give us this day our daily bread. He's not asking for something for 10 days down the road. He's just saying, God, for today and tomorrow, would you give us what we need? Give us our daily bread. That's a continuous dependence on God. You're praying every day for what you need for that day. And then he prays a prayer of confession. Forgive us our debts. The word forgive means to send forth or send away. So here's what Jesus is teaching them to pray. Pray that God would take whatever sin is in your life and send it away from you. So we're forgiven because of the blood of Christ on the cross, but we still sin, don't we? So we still come before God and confess. In fact, the word confess means to speak the same thing. It means to agree with God. When you sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. If if you're sinning and you're not feeling convicted, it's because you're not a child of God. If you're a child of God, he disciplines those whom he loves, and you'll be convicted to confess, to say, you know what, God, you're right. That was wrong. Please forgive me doesn't break the relationship. You don't become less, less a person of God if you're a child of God because of the blood of Jesus. But the fellowship gets messed up. And it's not because God moved, it's because you moved. So you come back to God in prayer and confession. Forgive us our debts. But then listen to this. In past tense it says, as we have also forgiven those indebted to us. We don't use the word debt to describe sin very much, but the Jews did. And that's typically who Jesus, was, or who Jesus is teaching this prayer to. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Forgive. So if Jesus is going to send, if God the Father is going to send your sins away from you, we need to do the same thing. That's hard, isn't it? When somebody's done something to us, to offer forgiveness is difficult because we're human. We're not God. And we can't forget it the way God does. But we can treat them like it never happened. So forgive me, God, as I've already forgiven others. And then a great ending prayer. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, God doesn't lead you into temptation. According to James, God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. So if you, 
If you find yourself being tempted, you can't play the Flip Wilson card. That God made me do it. It's the devil made me do it. That was what Flip Wilson used to say. And some of you are going, who's Flip Wilson? That's fine. You don't need to know. And I'm not even trying to do the accent or the voice that he did. But don't blame temptation on God because he's not tempting you. But what Jesus is teaching them to pray, Lord, protect me from temptation. You know what? There's times that God's, God does protect you. You're about to head somewhere, and you get, get a strong feeling. You know, I probably don't need to go there. And when you go anyway, you're teeing sin up. You find yourself in a place doing something you never intended to do, going further than you ever intended to go, and staying there longer than you ever intended to stay. And it messes fellowship with God up. So God, forgive me, and don't lead me into temptation. So what? Four thoughts to close with. First, pray to the Father. You have a relationship with Him as a believer. If you're a child of God, it's because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're in the family. So pray to your Father. According to John 14, verse 13 that I just read, pray in Jesus' name. What, what, why does that matter? It means we can come before God the Father in the name of Jesus. That perks the ears of God up when we come in the name of Jesus. I'm not coming in the name of Robert. I'm not coming in the basis of my righteous deeds. I'm not coming in the fact that for a whole week I've had a quiet time. Or I'm not coming because I preached a sermon this morning. I'm coming acknowledging humbly that I don't even have a right to be there apart from Christ. So you come into his presence in Jesus' name. You pray persistently. It's okay to pray the same thing over. In fact, Jesus tells a parable about a man who has out-of-town guests come to his house. And he goes to a friend to ask for some bread. And the friend is ignoring him because he doesn't want to get up and wake up the whole household. But according to verse 8 of Luke 11, Jesus says in his parable, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything he needs because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, in fact, the word is shameless persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So keep praying until God tells you to quit praying. And sometimes God answers prayers with yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. We don't like that one, do we? But we want God's will to be done. So he knows when the time's right, and he knows if what you're praying for is right, or he may redirect your prayer as you pray in his will. And that's the fourth thing. Pray for his will. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've been asked of him. Do you see the power of prayer? God wants you to pray. God doesn't want you to just use meaningless repetition. God doesn't want you to come before him and have some rote, memorized thing that is, you're not even thinking about. You can almost pray it with half your brain tied behind your back. God's inviting you to pray. God's even inviting you to ask people to pray for you. So I'm going to close that way this morning. Bow your heads. You don't have to look around. But if, you, if, if you'd like to indicate, Robert, pray for me, because I've come in, and I don't even know what you've come in, what the burden of your heart is today. But if it's something that's burdening you, it matters to God. So I just want to ask you, this is going to take some guts to do. But I want you to stand where you are.